and there was silence. Everybody smile. At the end of this message, you'll be happy you did. <laughs> For those of you, uh, you know that Casey had surgery this week. If you're wondering how she's doing, uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not real sure. Uh, I think she, I'm sure she's doing some better, but all I know is she is eating it up that her mama is falling all over her to take care of her. I'm thinking about getting sick again. Because <laughs> she really took care of me when I was sick, and she is taking care of that baby. And I'm just wondering how much that baby's just not eating it up. You know? <laughs> but she is still in a lot of discomfort. We appreciate your prayers. The surgery is successful, and we appreciate your continued prayers for her. And I want you to remember to, re- to read your outlines. I read your bulletins, and remember that uh, Joseph's going to be preaching next week. And I know he's got a word from the Lord that he's going to share, and I am looking forward to that. All right, reading Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. I'm reading today from the Jerusalem Bible. Philippians 4, starting in verse number 4. This is Paul writing to the Philippian church, and he says to them, I want you to be happy, always happy in the Lord. I repeat, what I want is your happiness. Let your tolerance be evident to everyone. The Lord is very near. There is no need to worry. But if there's any need, anything you need, pray for it. Asking God for it with prayer and thanksgiving. And the peace of God, which is so much greater than we can understand, will guard your hearts and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. It just seems to me that a lot of Christians have accepted the motto, Why pray when you can worry? So many Christians, I'm not pointing anybody out today, but you know, so many Christians spend more time worrying than they do praying. And we live in a day of tremendous anxiety and fear, and I hate it when people exploit that fear that is so prevalent in our nation and our culture today. And there are a lot of people that do that. Politicians are famous for exploiting fears. If you don't vote for me, if you vote for my opponent, he's going to take away all your medical coverage. If you vote for my opponent, he's going to to get us into war. If you vote for my opponent, he's going to destroy our country. He's going to ruin your life. You can't vote for him. You've got to vote for me, exploiting people's fears. Advertisers do it. If you don't buy my product, you just don't love your family. My product can take care of your family. You don't buy my product and your family's in danger. You You might as well just hang it up. You can't protect your family without our product. And unfortunately, it's not just advertisers and politicians, but preachers also are known to do that. Many preachers who exploit people's fears for their own advantage. And one of the reasons that so many people live in fear today is that this is probably the first generation ever in America that really believes that if we're going to be saved, and by saved I don't mean like spiritually saved, I mean like be safe. Uh, be protected, be provided for, to be secure. If we're going to be saved, then we must save ourselves. See, in the past, in past generations, not today, but in past generations, we always knew that even in the worst times, even in the toughest of times, people knew that we could turn to God. Presidents would come on the radio or on television and tell the nation to pray. Communities would get together and hold prayer services. We knew that no matter how difficult things were, God could take care of us. And we knew that even as a nation. But today, most people don't know that. They don't believe. And we live in a faithless generation. 
So we're probably living in history's most anxious era of self-preservation. Got to take care of ourselves. And we want to take care of ourselves. We don't want to depend on God. We want to depend on men because we don't see God. We don't understand God, but we understand men. We want to take care of ourselves, to trust in ourselves, but we can't figure out what to do. And that's scary. Who has the answer to all the violent crime going on in our community? Who has the answer for the public education woes in our community? And those two things, I believe, are very definitely connected. Who has the answer for war? Who has the answer for poverty? Who has the answer for racism? Who has the cure for cancer and other illnesses? And what if I get sick? And what if when I get sick, I lose my job? How am I going to take care of my family? How am I going to save me? How am I going to save myself? How am I going to save my family? How are we going to save our community? How can we save America? How can we save the world? The world is doomed. What can we do? How can we save ourselves? It's easy to understand worry in a lost world. In a lost world where we don't know the future, how can we be prepared for it? But I'm not talking about fear and worry in a lost world today. I'm talking about fear and worry in the church. I understand worry in a lost world. They've got a lot to worry about. I don't understand worry in the church. Here's what worry is. Worry is evidence that we don't trust God. That's what worry is. And so worry is sin. And it is going completely against God's Word, which so clearly says, don't worry, be happy. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. So thankful for your Word today, your encouraging Word and I pray that you'll encourage us, that you'll give us courage. I pray, Lord God, that you'll help us to put our confidence and our hope completely in you today. And for those who have been living in fear, for those who have spent this week worrying, for those who have been in doubt, God, I pray that you'll turn us around, that you'll get our hearts and our minds fixed on you. Help us, Lord God. We need you, Lord God. And I thank you for your provision today through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm preaching to Christians today. I believe that everybody here is a Christian or you think you're a Christian, or you want to be a Christian, so I'm going to talk to you as Christians, so what does it mean? I believe that the best definition I like for the word Christian is Christ-like. God wants us to be like Christ. His ultimate purpose for us is to be like His Son. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 29. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, to be like Jesus that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. But to be like somebody, I'm like, if you want to be like Jesus, then you've got to know what Jesus is like, right? So let's look at a couple of things that Jesus is like. First of all, Jesus is happy. Are you? <laughs> Are you happy? How do you know that Jesus is happy? Well, because of the scripture that I use over and over and over again. Psalm 16 and verse number 11, it says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. So God's path for your life is both happy 
and joyful. Doesn't mean everything's fun. Doesn't mean you have to enjoy everything. But there are so many good things in our lives. There is more good stuff in your life than there is bad stuff in your life. We're just so prone to negative thinking. The world leads us to negative thinking, to bad news. But there's more to rejoice about in your life than there is to worry about in your life. We have so much to be thankful for. God has already blessed you enough to literally rejoice in the Lord always, which means forever. Not just in this world, not just when you feel good, but for eternity. We really will spend eternity saying thank you, Jesus. I wish I knew what else we were going to be doing in eternity. It's going to be fun. I tell you that. Heaven's going to be fun. Right hand pleasures forevermore. How many of you like pleasures? Go to heaven. (laughs) Pleasures forevermore. I don't know what else we're going to be doing, but I know that forever we will never run out of things to say thank you, Jesus. So... Why aren't Christians more happy? Why aren't Christians like us more happy? And I believe maybe it's because we can't see the whole picture like God can. God sees how much good can come from things that we only see as pain and heartache. Can you imagine Jesus' mother seeing her son nailed to a cross? Can you imagine the disciples, John, Jesus' best friend, standing there watching him die on that cross? Who would have looked at that scene and said, This is good. This is wonderful. This is glorious. Only God knew the good that would come from the cross. Nobody else knew it. But God, the devil sure didn't know it. He thought he'd won a victory. The disciples didn't know it. They thought they suffered defeat. Only God knew the good that would come from His Son hanging on that cross. God is the only one who knows why bad things happen to good people, including us. We get so caught up in the difficulties of this life because of the negativism of our flesh. We get so caught up in the difficulties of this life that our vision and our understanding is limited. And it seems to me like the number one question we ask God, our number one question for God seems to be, why? (laughs) I understand. Why, God? Why is this happening to me? Why am I hurting? Why am I sick? Why? See, unfortunately, our human emotions of happiness and joy are too tied to the circumstances that we see in this life. Very often, we're hurting. Well, that doesn't make us happy. Very often, we're in trouble, sometimes because of stuff that we did ourselves. Sometimes a family member's hurting, like Casey right now. Michelle and I would gladly trade places with that baby. We'd rather be hurting than our child hurting. And so when things like this happen, why, Lord? Sometimes we don't get our own way. And that is so frustrating. When my way's better than your way. (laughs) I want my way. We think that happiness is getting our way so often. We think that happiness is getting our way. But if that's true, think about it. If happiness was getting your way, can you think of any time in the past 
When you really wanted something, you prayed to God, you believed it was the greatest thing in the world, you really believed that this is what God wanted, this is what you needed, and you asked for it and didn't get it, and then later on, you're so glad you didn't get it. Anybody know of it? Can you think of anything like that? I thought of some specific things today, which I will not share with you, but I thought of some specific things today. But here's what I can tell you. Everybody here should probably be very glad that Jeff didn't always get what he wanted. (laughs) Because I have literally asked for stuff that could hurt just about everybody here. And, And it was not bad stuff that I was asking for necessarily. But I can remember when I was a teenager, my dad preached on the coming of Christ constantly. My dad died in shock that Jesus didn't come during his lifetime. He was absolutely convinced that His coming was soon. And I was excited about that. I loved the Lord, and there were a lot of stuff in life I didn't like. I didn't like a lot of things when I was a teenager. So when I was a teenager, I was crying out, Come quickly, Lord Jesus! Let the rapture happen right now! I'm talking about in the 1970s. And what if the rapture came in the 1970s? Some of you weren't saved. Some of you weren't even born. You'd have missed out on everything if Jeff got his way. How many of you glad Jeff doesn't always get his way? I'm glad you don't always get your way too. Our ways are not perfect. His ways are perfect. Getting what you want is not the key to happiness. Because we often do get what we want, and then, as good Americans, we want something else. (laughs) What do we want? More! (laughs) We always want more. Getting what you want is not the key to happiness. What is the key to happiness? Well, the Bible tells us the key to happiness. In Philippians chapter 4, verse number 4 in our text, in the Jerusalem Bible, it says, Be happy, how? In the Lord. In the King James Version, it says, Rejoice in the Lord. In the Living Bible, it says, Be full of joy in the Lord. In the, Philipp- in the, in the uh, uh, Phillips Modern Translation, it says, Delight yourselves in the Lord. And so no matter how you interpret it, the key to happiness is being in the Lord. That's the key to true happiness. Spending time with God in His presence, in His Word, in prayer, in doing what He wants us to do. It means you believe Him. It means you trust Him. It means that you really do know that God is in control. You can be happy knowing that God is in control and He does all things well. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Now, it doesn't say that God does everything that we think is good or that we, that we understand is good. It says all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So when you believe that God is in control and that He has a purpose for everything, and that in the end, it's going to work out for our good and for His glory, then you can experience God's joy. Here's the message today. It's two words. And it's such a simple thing, but I hope I'm giving a lot of background for it so that you'll really get this today. The message today is God says, trust me. You're full of worry because you don't trust me. You're not happy because you don't trust me. Trust me. And when you trust the Lord, He'll teach you how to smile. And when you trust the Lord, He'll show you how to be happy. And when you trust the Lord, you stop worrying. 
which you better do because worry is sin. God said don't do it. And He doesn't make suggestions. He gives commands. Don't worry. Anybody want to be like Jesus? Jesus is happy. And Jesus is not worried. How about you? You don't have to say anything right now because I don't want anybody to lie. That would add to your sin. Worry is sin, but what have you been worried about lately? What's been, what's been uh, causing you so much heartache lately? God's not worried. Jesus is not worried. Now, maybe you're thinking, of course Jesus is not worried because He's God and He gets everything He wants. He can just name it and it's done. He gets everything He wants. If you think He gets everything He wants, you're wrong. Jesus does not get, God does not get everything He wants. I can prove it to you. How many of you this last week did everything God wanted you to do? I don't see any hands. <laughs> I did a lot of stuff that I believe that God wanted me to do, but I can think of some things, some opportunities that I missed. I didn't do every single thing that God wanted, so do you understand what I'm telling you? God wanted something. I didn't do it. So he didn't get it. Maybe he got somebody else to do it, but I didn't do it. So not even God gets every single thing he wants because he gives us free will. And that's really proven by this scripture, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9, which says, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That means God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. God's will is that no one go to hell. He sent His Son because whoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. But do people go to hell? That, that's not a trick question. Do people go to hell? Yeah, people go to hell every day by the multitudes. God doesn't always get what He wants. So how does God deal with it? He keeps on working. He keeps on loving, but He does not worry. Let me tell you what Jesus says about worry. I know you've heard this scripture many times, and I'm going to read the whole thing anyway. Matthew chapter, 26, or Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry. Command, folks. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith, so do not worry, saying, what shall, we eat? We eat. what shall we eat or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Can you say amen to that? <laughs> Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says that worry is a waste of time. But maybe the worst thing about worry is that worry takes your mind off God. So, where do you think worry comes from if it takes your mind off God? Who do you think wants you to worry? Who do you think wants your mind to be off God? 
The devil does. Satan does. Satan wants you to worry because he doesn't want you to pray. He wants you to worry and not pray, not seek God. But that's why the Scripture again says so clearly in Philippians 4, 6, there is no need to worry. But if there is anything you need, pray. Don't worry. Pray. Worry leads to doubt and fear. Prayer leads to God and faith. And you can do both for a little while. You can worry and pray for a little while. But eventually, one of those two things is going to conquer the other. Eventually, one of those two things is going to dominate the other. And the one that is going to dominate is the one that you do most and best. What are you good at? Are you good at praying? Are you a prayer warrior? Are you good at worrying? Which one do you do most and which one do you do best? And so the final thing is, you will either worry or pray. Eventually, you will either worry or pray. Satan wants you to worry. God wants you to pray. Who has more control of your life? Worry will kill you. It causes stress and anxiety. It can make you sick. This may be the very worst thing about worry. Maybe the very worst thing about worrying is that when you worry, worry is something that you must do without God. Every time you worry, you're on your own. Because God will not worry with you. God's not going to sit there with you like maybe your pastor will and say, yeah, that's a tough one, what are we going to do? God's not going to worry with you. He already has the solution. He already has the answer. If you're going to worry, you are worrying without God. Worry takes your mind off God. Worry takes away your joy. It takes away your motivation. And it keeps you from smiling. It keeps you from being happy. Worry will kill your smile. Worry will kill you. It will kill your smile. But prayer will save you. The Bible says that prayer and thanksgiving brings God's peace to your heart and to your thoughts. And that God's peace is not circumstantial. That God's peace is beyond our understanding. And so what that means is even though you might be in a tough spot right now, God can give you peace that's beyond understanding. Peace that's beyond your circumstances. You can be at peace right now and you can be happy right now. You don't have to leave this place unhappy today. You don't have to leave this place worried and carrying that debt load, that worry, that that load of worry. God can set you free. Prayer is being with God, trusting in God. It's being in Jesus Christ. It's speaking with Him. It's knowing that, that your mind is fixed on Him and that He's listening to you. That you're in the presence of God and He can do anything, including make you happy. God can make you happy. God can make you smile. Worry kills your smile. God can make you smile. Everybody knows that person who just never smiles. You see those games, you know, people play games, there's like, who can make this person smile? You ever do that when you're teenagers? There's always at least one kid that just nobody can make that kid laugh, nobody can make that kid smile, but God can. God knows just how to tickle you. <laughs> God knows just how to delight you. God knows how to make you smile. And that's so important because smiling 
is what happy people do. And God says, I want you to be happy. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. Even when you're at your weakest. Even when you're down. I love this scripture. I quoted it all the time when I was a teenager going through some difficult times. It's Numbers chapter 8 and verse... Uh, numbers. It's Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse number 10. And it says, The joy of the Lord is my... What? Strength. You want to be strong in the Lord? The joy of the Lord is my strength. So, you have a choice to make today. Today. You can choose to be strong or weak. You can choose between prayer and worry. You can choose between God or the devil. And hear the preacher today. I say, choose God. Not a hard choice. Choose God. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse number 10, the thief, talking about the devil, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But he says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. You know what the King James Version says? And they may have it more abundantly. Abundant life. That's what God wants for you. Abundant life. Doesn't mean everything's going to go the way you want it to go. Doesn't mean you'll never go through difficult times. But it does mean that nothing in this life can steal away the joy of the Lord if you remain in His presence where there's fullness of joy. Stay close to God. So, how you doing there? How's life for you right now? How's life? How's your life? And maybe one good way to answer that question, and I wish I could have a camera right now panning the audience. One good way to answer that question is, ask your face. <laughs> How's your life? Ask your face. Smiling is a great testimony. I love to see CJ at the, at the, at the uh, Smiley's, which is a good name for it. <laughs> nice to everybody that walks by. And I mean, he says hello and, and you know, how you doing today? Some people who just totally ignore him. <laughs> some people I've seen, I saw some guy just go like this <laughs> as he walks by. But he's being nice to everybody, smiling. Smiling can be such a great testimony. We need to learn how to smile. We need to train ourselves in the Lord how to smile. Now listen, I'm not asking you to fake anything. I'm not saying, you know, you break your leg and your bone's sticking out and you go, <laughs> praise God, you know, scream, holler. Then when they fix it, smile and say, God sure took care of me. You understand what I'm saying though? You need to learn how to smile. In His presence, there's fullness of joy. Christians ought to be the happiest people in the world. How is your testimony? Look at your face. Because that's what people see. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. So thankful for your word. And so thankful, Lord God, for your Holy Spirit that helps us to understand your word and apply your word. And I pray that you'll help us today, Lord God, not to be worriers. To be obedient to your word and to be... Uh, rejoicers, to rejoice in the Lord always, to rejoice in the Lord in our work, to rejoice in the, world, in, in the Lord at home, to rejoice in the Lord even in our most difficult circumstances. Help us, Lord God, to be aware of the witness that we're portraying to our world. Help us to be aware, Lord God, of how much we are like Jesus or not like Jesus. Help us to grow in You. 
Give us the joy of the Lord. And I give you praise for it in your matchless name. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you.